This episode is brought to you by Envision Podcasting. Find out how Randy and Envision can put more than 20 years of radio and podcasting experience to work for your next podcast. Email randy at randystruvo.com for more. That's R-A-N-D-Y-S-T-R-E-U-V-O.com. On to the show. I've always been a storyteller, and I've always been somebody who also appreciates a good story. And for me, a good story is always about the people involved. I'm David Kelso, and you're listening to APC Presents, where I showcase independent podcasters from Northeast Wisconsin. Today, I'm talking to Randy Strew. Randy is a former broadcaster and currently operates freelance, doing voiceovers, podcast editing, and producing audio dramas. As an avid fiction audio listener and sound design aficionado myself, it was an absolute blast to talk to Randy. We talked about best interview practices, some of his current audio drama projects, and how to take care of your vocal cords, a very important thing for podcasters. I'm pleased to present Randy Strew. All right, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast, Randy. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. Oh, hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so you are a full-time voiceover artist, freelance, podcast editor, creator, production, audio guy in general. Yeah, writer as well, and uh, yeah. Add a few more things to the list. Add a few more things to that. Writer, just random gadabout, yeah. Paranormal activity tracker. Paranormal activity tracker. In between. Yeah. So Food critic. No, uh, go ahead. Food critic? (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, we'll talk about that. I'm bringing that back up later. Don't you worry. So why don't you paint us a quick picture of sort of your story, and I'll sort of ask some questions to hopefully fill in the gaps. My story? Yeah. So where'd you grow up? I was going to say, well, I was born on a cold night in February (laughs) of 1978. Okay. Don't bring bring your writer mind too much into (laughs) telling your story. One of my favorite intros for if someone asked me that question, I was born at a very young age. Yeah, that's right. I I remember it like it was yesterday. No, I I grew up kind of everywhere. I spent a couple of years uh, in Ohio. We moved to Wyoming. Most of my childhood was uh, spent in in central Michigan, however. So, yeah, I'm going to leave out the irrelevant parts, I hope. (laughs) So stop stop me if I start veering into crap that you don't need to hear. Um, Fair enough. But uh, we grew up in central Michigan. And I, I mean, like, literally from probably four years old until I moved and went away to college. Um, And we had this oldies radio station that my dad would always listen to. Burke and Burns in the morning was was the morning show. Uh, And then it was uh, Johnny and Blondie after Burns left. But I I always I would always listen to that with my dad. I mean, that was like the the just this great time that my dad and I would have together is listening to the oldies morning show. And, you know, it was the classic morning show before they decided that, you know, let's get more songs in per hour. Let's not let the morning guys do their thing. You know, before radio mm-hmm. turned to crap, basically, <laughs> uh, we had uh, we had Johnny Burke in the morning. And so like there'd be maybe, like, maybe two songs an hour. Otherwise, it was just Johnny and whose co-host just BSing. Mm-hmm. And they had so much fun. And uh, it just seemed like such a great time that by the time I got to college, I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to go into radio. So that was kind of how I got into doing media yeah uh in general was listening to to johnny burke with my dad and just deciding it just seemed like a lot of fun and then 
as I was in college and my, my parents were like, you know, well, you know, you should really have a fallback, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Classic yeah, all right. I'll, yeah. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll double major in business, uh, which that lasted my freshman year. <laughs> you got one year in, one got, year under your belt. That's right. Uh, and I'm like, no, no, this is no, I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, as an entrepreneur now and, and freelancer, I kind of wish I'd stuck that out. But instead, I decided to double major in English and broadcasting. And well, communications, kind of the umbrella of communications. Yeah. Um, but I spent time in the TV studios learning about television production, learning about radio production, working at the college radio stations, which at our college was uh, Spring Arbor College, now Spring Arbor University. The radio station that they would have us work at actually covered all of Southern Michigan. So like from Lansing on down, they had... Yeah, uh, that's a big market. They had translator <laughs> towers up. Yeah, so you're 17, 18 years old, you know, playing out to this huge market. And it was a lot of fun. It was, it was a great gig. And then also, you know, like I said, learning about TV, learning about all this stuff. By the time I became a junior... I got really interested in film and film production. And so I got to, I got together with a couple of other students, got together with a couple of professors and we created the film studies major at Spring Arbor college. Um, oh, that's awesome. And which by the way, is still now a fully accredited full on major at Spring Arbor university. So we kind of pioneered that, uh, spent some time out in LA to finish that and, uh, came back, started working for a corporate communication company doing some video stuff on the side. Didn't really do radio again for about 10 years after college, mm. for whatever reason. But I always stayed in communications, which uh, that was kind of the running joke was that, hey, at least I have a job in communications. Most of the most <laughs> communication majors I know are working at McDonald's or <laughs> selling, you know. In a sales like, position somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Just like me. Hmm. That's right. <laughs> Not just... <laughs> Uh, hey, I haven't sold my soul. I still do this. Hey, I, you know what, though? After we moved from Michigan, we went to New York to live closer to my wife's family. Our first job there, I spent three years selling electronics at Sears before I actually found a radio station and went in and I said, hey, I've got some experience. I know how to do this. And yeah. this is a teeny tiny little town in New York. So they were just thrilled to have anybody with any experience show up to want to do this job. They had actually picked the guy they were going to hire. And they're like, holy crap, you've actually been behind a board before? <laughs> and so they gave me the job. Mm. You can push a fader. Great. Yeah, Get out right. there. Get out there. Do it. So I was doing nights in northern New York, uh, six to midnight, at a country station, which I hated country growing up. <laughs> so what was that like trying to be enthusiastic about country for six hours? Well, there there was a good and bad about it because it turned out I actually didn't have to do that very much until I got oh. a different job. Because for whatever reason, because again, this is Podunkville, USA. This is northern. This is practically Canada, New York. Okay. So <laughs> Niagara Falls, kind of north right there. of Niagara Even Falls. There. Oh gosh, it's a it's a three hour drive south just to get to Niagara Falls. Is is <laughs> where I was at. Oh gosh. Okay. So my show was actually the drive home show for the first three hours of the shift and it was oldies and i okay. loved oldies yeah as i as i think i mentioned you know having grown i don't up, think you did but having grown up on the oldies station yeah uh, that my dad used to listen to i loved oldies uh, you know so i spent three hours a day playing oldies to people who were obviously you know probably 20 30 years my senior 
you know, going in telling these guys all about their music. As a, what, what, what? Did you grow up with this song? Yeah, exactly. And then we would play country music. It wasn't really an issue until I spent about two and a half years at that station before I took over a morning show host position in Ogdensburg, New York. It was the biggest, the most popular radio station in that portion of northern New York, in St. Lawrence County, New York. Uh, we had about 40% of our listeners were actually in Ontario. The radio station was literally positioned on the bridge in the Port Authority building across <laughs> the river from Brockville, Ontario. Uh, <laughs> okay. so, and I, I'm sure people commuted across the border on a regular basis, and so oh, that was their, their station. Yeah, all the time. And it was. It was their station. We had, like I said, about 40% of my listeners were, were probably Canadian. And I took over the morning show there and did that for, I think, two or three years, a few years, till 2012, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where I had to really learn how to appreciate country music. And so to, to, to answer the question that you asked five minutes ago, I started by appreciating the artists themselves. Hmm. As a morning host, I had the opportunity to, have, to do interviews with people and uh, really get to know and learn a lot about these artists and uh, realize that, you know, these are kind of regular guys that you could literally sit down and have a beer with. You know, just some of the most down-to-earth people doing country music and i love that you know you're not gonna you're not gonna find too many pop stars where you literally feel like you know you could give them a call and be like hey you want to go have a beer and they'd be like yeah sure <laughs> you know uh but with country music you, you always had that feeling and so from there i kind of learned how to appreciate the music and i've mm -hmm. i still have more of a more of an affinity to older country music outlaw country Stuff like that. I, I still I don't own any albums except for a few Johnny Cash standards because it's Johnny freaking Cash and you yeah. should. <laughs> you don't no, you don't like music song. if you don't own a Johnny Cash. That's it's that yeah. simple. Well, I got to work on that. I'm getting yeah. a new vinyl player for my birthday, so I'll Jeez, have to get Dave. a Johnny Cash. Yeah, but uh, but uh, but no, you know, just just yeah. through 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 understanding the artist, I got to kind of have an appreciation of the music, and so I wasn't pretending the whole time. Yeah, uh, that I enjoyed myself, which made it a lot easier when I had to go out there and MC live shows, mm -hmm. trying to hype up the hype up the crowd. You know, I didn't have to pretend that I liked their music <laughs> to, to get them going. <laughs> you could actually, and I, yeah, so you could see sort of past the art to the human behind it. Right, right, and that's awesome. and that's one of those things that served me well going in. Um, Twenty twelve, I accepted a position in Green Bay. Uh, well, Appleton, technically to the family, which is a radio station serving Green Bay, Appleton, Oshkosh. Mm -hmm. And then they also had a kind of different sister station that ran uh, South Central uh, Wisconsin. And I took over the morning show here in 2012. Yes. And that sort of ability to humanize people, to uh, really want to understand them. Uh, I got the chance to do a lot of interviews, which is still... the the fa my, my favorite part of having a, that job in radio was interviewing people and just talking to people hmm. and being able to have those conversations and, and uh, draw them out a little bit, maybe surprise them with a good question, you know, try and ask questions, have conversations that every other DJ in America isn't having with them. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, so, you know, what was your inspiration behind this song? Oh, shut up. Nobody cares. <laughs> um, uh. 
Yeah, go listen to every other interview that's asked that same question. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, that was, you know, to kind of go go in and dig, dig a little bit deeper into the person and, and be able to talk to the person behind the music a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And I always kind of loved that. And I always kind of loved being able to talk to my listeners, whether it was a one-way conversation, which is 90, 98% of it, or the occasions in which they would actually call in, you know, be able to have the conversations that way as well. Mm-hmm. So all of that's kind of a roundabout way. When I lost my job in 2000, oh, hell, what year is it? It's 2021. I want to say 2018, late 2018, I think I lost my job. Yeah. Um, the stations were merging, and the guy who had my job in this North Central station was also the program manager for the entire cluster. Mm-hmm. And so he was going to take over the morning show for the whole for the whole cluster, leaving me yeah. kind of high and dry. So when I lost my job and I started doing uh, freelance voiceover work, um, which my wife is the one who kind of got me into that, I had started doing some audio drama, which I'll, we can get to later, uh, some audio books. And I called her. I said, hey, <laughs> I'm at home. And... Uh, at home, I shall stay. <laughs> and uh, she said, what happened? So you've been doing the work from home thing before it was cool. Yeah. Yep. And uh, she said, well, what happened? I said, I just, I just lost my job. I, you know, and I didn't know why at the time. And, and, you know, there was some anger and some frustration there, obviously. But she was great. She just said, you know, hey, look, you, um, you've, been, you've been starting to do some of this stuff kind of on the side. You've got a lot of creative projects that you want to get done. She's like, maybe now is the time. I've got a good job. I'm getting paid well. Maybe now's the time to explore that and to and to really get into that. I said, "Well, I'm going to need to buy equipment." She's like, "Do it." So that's awesome that you can have that support for even when things seem to be a low valley. You can have that support right there with you to pick you back up. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You said that you just you you love being able to sort of hear those human stories and be able to connect with people. Do you can you think of a reason why that is? You know, it's it's interesting. I, I've always been a storyteller, and I've always some, been somebody who, as a storyteller, also appreciates a good story. Uh, and for me, a good story is always about the people involved. You know, the action is sort of peripheral. You know, what the action does is that reveals who the character is. And so, learning about people is has always been really kind of interesting and exciting for me. Well. I think that was a great insight into sort of the changes of your of your life and coming from radio into the podcasting realm. But what made you want to stay in Northeast Wisconsin? Because this like it's not it's on the other side of the lake for you for home. What made you stay? A couple of things. the The biggest thing that make that made me stay, and I'll be I'll be real. I dragged my wife here, away from her home in Northern New York. She finally got herself established built herself a career that she loves. And when I lost my job and I said, hey, why don't I look into other radio stations? She said, no. <laughs> you, I mean, if, if you can find one here, great, but we're not moving again. You dragged me out here. I found a job. Here's where we're staying. Yeah. And uh, which I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very happy she put her foot down on it. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is that I've not found too many communities that I like living in. Hmm. As much as Appleton, you know, I'm, I'm from Midland, Michigan, which is like Appleton, but snobbier. <laughs> yeah, it's not the UP. 
it's not the it's not the UP. Yeah, Mid, Mid, well, Midland, Michigan is where Dow Chemical is. The 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 uh, the seat, the corporate seat of Dow Chemical exists in Midland, Michigan. And if mm. if if you live in Midland, even if you don't work for Dow Chemical, you work for Dow Chemical. <laughs> and so it's, it is it is the definition of company town. Yeah. Uh, and it's just it's so snooty, and it's uh, just like I loved I loved it, but at the same time I was like like just kind of annoyed by it. Yeah, uh, especially because it was like um, it was snooty in the sense of being uppity. Like you look around the town itself, and you're like, you know, you guys don't really deserve to 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 think as highly of yourselves as you do. You know, whereas yeah. you come into Appleton and you've got this great arts culture, you've got this commun this this great community that really does engage in and and celebrate the arts, celebrate the entrepreneur, celebrate the uh, the person who thinks differently, and the community itself actually does that, and you you can mm-hmm. sense it throughout there. And yet somehow they don't seem to have that sort of intellectual snootiness. Yeah. Uh, that you find in, in, in places like, like where I grew up. Uh, and as, and so I just, I love that, you know, one, one of my favorite things, uh, the first week I was here, I drove through and, uh, I went to a Taco Bell and I've never gone to a fast food place where somebody seemed genuinely happy to serve me. <laughs> yeah. I don't think when I went to school in the twin cities, Taco Bell was, here's your taco. Yeah. And you were like, they're probably going back to take a, a smoke a joint in the back room there and then come back and serve me my food. And I'm like, but if they were like, Hey, welcome to Taco Bell. How can I take your order? Kind of a thing. Yeah, it was great. You know, and it was, it was funny. Cause like every, everybody who's who, who, uh, for that first year, like if, if it seemed like everybody who, no matter where I went, if it was Taco Bell, Burger King, whatever, anywhere I went, it felt like they were auditioning for the radio. Uh, <laughs> Hey, well, when you come on the other side of that that broadcaster with that sweet, sultry voice of yours, I'm sure they perk up a little. They they just they they'd get on the little microphone and they'd be like, "Thank you for coming to." Like, <laughs> Good you know morning, I, Vietnam. Yeah, like I kind of want to tell you to chill, but I'm sort of enjoying it, so we'll just <laughs> we'll just go with it. Yeah, it makes you smile, and they're they're hopefully smiling on the other end too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Appleton has that great balance of everything because we have all of the arts but there's a lot of value in the sports as well and i think that we're not overinflated in the other things and i've only lived here half the time that you've lived here so okay the for three years so i i feel like i've gotten the same same ideas um or feeling out of it which is why i want to i want to stay here too so you mentioned that you were a food critic at the very early on. Is it is it just Taco Bell that, no, that I was, you critique? I, well, I, I was kidding. Uh, oh. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> no, I, I I'm more of a uh, I'm more of a coffee aficionado, a beer snob, and I've been learning more about wines and whiskeys. Ah. Uh, so those are kind of more my more my speed. I love food. I I have a huge appreciation of food, and I watch a lot of Food Network. Same. So I'm, I'm kind of the guy that, like, when I get into the kitchen, I'm going, okay, we're having macaroni and hot dogs. But then when I'm watching Food Network, I'm going, no, you don't use that much truffle oil, you moron. <laughs> I've never touched truffle oil in my life, but you're using too much. Exactly. Uh, that's awesome. Where's the best place to get a beer in town? Uh, one of my favorites is Appleton Beer Factory. Not only do they have a lot of great beers, um, which 
they actually have my favorite canned beer, uh, which is Butamore Black. Okay. Uh, I haven't been there yet, but I know you've told me about that before. Yeah, they brew it there. Butamore Black is one of theirs, and it's, uh, it's just a great black ale. And they have outstanding food uh, that goes along with it. So, yeah, Well, awesome. Uh, there's a little bit of Randy in a nutshell there. We'll have a quick break, and we'll see you in the next half. Welcome to the podcast Fast Class. This is check-in number seven. And if you're tracking with us in the class, you should be releasing your third episode today. I'll give you some kind of hoorah speech next week to send you off into the unknown. But for now, you're a boss. Make sure to fill out the official sign-up form to be entered into the giveaway for the chance to win some free gear, a Shure MV7 microphone, and some sweet studio headphones. Link in the notes. Back to the show. Now we're going to talk about podcasting, all things audio. We got a little bit of your story, Randy, of how you sort of got into audio with your listening to oldies station with your dad. But now we're in a new era of audio. We're yes. in the on-demand. How do you like doing all of your audio recorded now instead of live? I like it a lot. <laughs> as, a, as a podcaster, I sound a lot more intelligent as a podcaster than I ever did as, as a broadcaster. Um, mm-hmm. Because I get to edit myself, which is fantastic. <laughs> I remember I was, when I was working as a uh, – when I was doing the morning show up in northern New York, I did an interview with somebody – I kind of I, I kind of have this thing where I take some of my weaknesses and I sort of turn them into the character that I that I am. Because yeah. if you've been in radio, you know, you are yourself on the air, but you're more of it. Mm-hmm. You're almost like a caricature when you're on the air. You're taking those pieces of yourself that are entertaining and you're and you're and you're building those pieces up. And one of the, one of my things is like when it comes to like talking to people, sometimes I can be very awkward. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a, had a person that I interviewed live. Uh, tell me after the interview, like you really, you really lean into those awkward silences, <laughs> and then you pause. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I do. So yeah, that's the that's the kind of nice thing about on demand. You know, being more on demand is that you know, yeah, I, I I can edit myself. I can sound I can sound smarter than I actually am, which is great. Hmm. So you've done a few projects of uh, podcast projects since you left the radio business. You're not currently doing any though, correct? Uh, hopefully, as of as of the time this airs, we'll have some stuff going on. But yeah, um, Super. yeah, I did a couple of different a uh, couple of different podcasts. One of my earliest podcasts after being on the air, uh, I actually looked specifically for something in which I could interview people because I really missed that part of radio, mm-hmm. and so I started living freelance which was a podcast for freelancers by freelancers, namely myself. And I would interview freelancers who had something of value to say to other freelancers. So, for example, I talked to Katie Lane, who is a she's a graphic designer in her own right. She's also an attorney. Hmm. And as an attorney, she deals almost exclusively in the arts and in the Mm -hmm. creative freelancing community. And so we had a great conversation about contracts and uh, negotiation and sticking to your guns and all that. You know, I did one with a lady who was a freelance cop, a freelance copywriter, a freelance ghostwriter, and she actually put out a book finally in her own name called The Freelancer's Survival Guide or The Freelancer's Bible. I have a copy of it sitting Very around cool. here somewhere. And so we interviewed, you know, so I interviewed her. And so that was kind of the 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 thing with that podcast. It lasted, I think, a year. Okay. Yeah. Um, Were you doing one episode every week or bi-weekly? I was doing bi-weekly, I believe. Okay. 
Yeah. So how did you prepare for those interviews compared to your radio interviews? It was honestly very similar. Um, okay. Once I knew who I was going to be talking to, I did the I did the research that I needed needed to do, found out what they had going on. I wrote out my top five questions, which I then sent to them mm-hmm. to let them prepare a little bit. And then that was that was pretty much it. I, I you know I always do a lot of research into the people that I interview yeah. uh, before I before I even formulate my questions. And then then I formulate my questions. I do five. I don't do more than five. I don't do less than five. I do five wow. questions. These are the five questions I'm sending you. And the reason I do that is because I'm actually preparing for a 60-minute interview, a 45 to 60-minute interview, uh-huh. knowing full well that each of those five questions is going to have their own little rabbit trails, uh, mm-hmm. is going to have other questions that I can ask about them if they're asked, if they're asked correctly. And the nice thing about that is I spent 15 years learning how to ask questions correctly mm-hmm. uh, to, to create it, to develop a conversation. And then that's the other big thing is that when I interview people and I tell them right up front, this is not going to be a Q&A session. This is going to be a conversation. Yeah. I'm going to have questions for you, but we're going to slip those in organically and see how it works. And then I spend five minutes just talking to them before I hit record. Yeah. And then I just throw out a quick okay, we're rolling. And then I just continue the conversation. Keep it, keep it natural and keep it actually a conversation between two people instead of an NPR. Hello, we're here with Randy Strew. Randy, tell us about the time you got a dog. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> not those kind of things. So like, how do you ask those questions that may not, cause we sort of touched on this earlier, like not just the, what inspired you to do this, but how do you find those questions that are, that haven't been asked before? Through the research, the digger, the, the digger, the, the deeper you dig into somebody's life, the more you find out about them. And the more you find out about them, the more questions you can ask. So I talked to a, I talked to a singer who released a book and part of her book was how she got into, you know, a little bit of alcoholism and things like that. And she was very open about it in her book. And so, you know, I was able to kind of bring that around and say, you know, you, you mentioned how you uh, kind of became an alcoholic and this and that you also fell away from the music scene for a while. Can you talk about what that journey was like realizing that you had a problem and needed to step away and then realizing that you were well enough to come back? Hmm. How often do you think that the interviewer fills that sort of therapist's role almost with helping people analyze themselves? (sighs) Is that something they should do? Or is that something that should be left up for the listener to decide. I, it, it needs to be carefully done. Hmm. It needs to be done with a, with a mind of, and this is one of the reasons that I release my question in advance so that I can tell them, hey, we're going to go here. If you're not comfortable with that, this is when you let me know. Hmm. You know, you can also get advanced, advanced notes from their agent or whoever their representative yeah. is or from the artist themselves or who, from the interviewee themselves right. to say, these are the things I'm not going to talk about. These are the things I will talk about. Right. But, you, you know, for me, somebody's doing you a favor by being on your show. Mm-hmm. It doesn't pay you in any sense to go after them, to surprise them, to shock them, to confront them. Because ultimately, what I want from them is to enjoy the experience and to maybe want to come back someday. And also people who hear the interview, who I might want to be interested in interviewing down the road, I want them to feel comfortable. Like, okay, this Mm -hmm. guy's not going to attack me 
or come right. out of I left field. I know I have some things in my past, or there's things that have been out in social media. Uh, yeah, like I'm not here to be a yeah, like I, I'm just I'm not here to be a uh, yellow journalist, right? You know, I'm here the to get to know more yeah. about you and tell tell my listeners more about you and yeah. to give you a platform and help you share your story. Yeah. So one of the things that you and I bonded when we first talked about was the the fiction side of that. You have been doing the nonfiction, like those interviews and everything. And there's a few other podcasts that you've done. Obese, the podcast. Which is just a fully personal. Right. It's just <laughs> a, a couple of interviews thrown in there of yeah. nonfiction scripted narrative. Yeah. But th- there's the whole fantasy fiction and the world of audio drama art. And yes. I think you're one of the few people that have actually been in it, participated in it, participated in the voiceover realm. All of the other people in the APC are mostly on the business side of things or have a, a, a unique passion for other things. But like we're, you and I, you, <laughs> you are in it for the art of it, for half of what you do. Yeah, I'm so excited that, uh, that, that we're able to bring this up because, yeah. You know, like the more I talk about, you know, the more we've been talking, I'm like, man, we haven't even gotten audio drama yet. And that's really kind of my, been my passion right now. You know, when uh, when I got the job at the radio station, I drove out here uh, and I left my family behind for two weeks. And my wife, knowing what happens to me when I drive, i.e. I tend to fall asleep, knows also that if you can keep my mind engaged, I'll stay awake and I can drive. I can drive hours as long as I have something to keep my mind engaged. And because I, I love driving. And so I drove from northern New York to Appleton, Wisconsin, in two days. And to facilitate that, my wife bought me a bunch of audio dramas. She bought me the Baker Street Dozen. It was uh, 12 Sherlock Holmes audio dramas. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then the original Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy audio drama. Oh, sick. Do you still have those? I do. Somewhere. Somewhere. (laughs) Somewhere. Anyways. And I had heard some audio drama before, you know, being in Christian radio, which I was in college because I went to a Christian college. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'd heard like Adventures in Odyssey, which was one of the few people in America who were doing it, who were still doing audio drama. In fact, I, I've, I've said this before and I, and I mean it with every, uh, with, with every ounce of sincerity that Adventures in Odyssey and Radio Theater, both of which came out of Focus on the Family, mm-hmm. uh, Whatever you happen to think about Focus on the Family as a organization, Focus on the Family is almost solely responsible for keeping audio drama in America on life support for the last 20 years, for the last really 30 years, up until we started doing it. The podcast uh, sort podcast of brought it back form. to life. Yeah. Yep. But so I, I, I knew something about audio drama because of that, you know, because we'd have to mm-hmm. prep the tapes or whatever for airplay on uh, the radio station. So I knew they existed. But it wasn't until my wife got me those because we had been listening to audio books for, for drives and stuff and audio books mm-hmm. were nice. And I'm not, I'm certainly not going to poo poo audio books. I've done over 35 <laughs> of them and they've been the bulk of my career uh, for the past three years. I was going to say, I was looking at your uh, audible credits and I was like, Oh, Randy's got, yeah, got it going. So yeah, I've got, yeah. got a few on there. Um, well, what's the difference maybe for people that may not understand that difference between an audio book and an audio drama? Sure. Uh, an audiobook is a narration. It's it's and that's literally what it is. Now there are two kinds of audiobooks, and one of them leans more into audio drama territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, an audiobook is is a narration. Uh, when it's a nonfiction audiobook, it's literally 
it, the narrator basically takes on the role of the author and then acts out that book mm-hmm. from front to back. Uh, in the fiction sense, the narrator takes on all the roles and it's a lot like reading to your kids. Mm-hmm. Now your, your delivery is going to vary, obviously, you know, you're not going to read a book geared towards adults in the same way that you're going to read treasure Island to your, to your 10 year old. But, uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of the same kind of mindset that goes on behind that. So you're narrating the story. You're maybe you're doing voices. Maybe you're just tweaking your voice just a little tiny bit to make to, to differentiate between who the characters are, but you're, you're kind of acting that out in a, an audio drama. It's really a movie or a TV show taking place in your mind. And what we're doing is we're supplying the soundtrack. So you've got music, you've got sound effects, you've got a multitude of actors taking on the roles and really using that medium to tell the story. It's li- it's literally watching a movie or a TV show without the video. Hmm. Yeah. How, as a writer, does that change for you then? You started in film, so you knew how, what a visual would look like. What does yeah. That, what is that gap? You know, it's interesting because I, I actually started writing short stories uh, when I was much younger. Um, and I've gotten, I've, I've still, I've got several stories, uh, several short stories published in various magazines and, and anthologies and things like that. And what I've noticed, basically what you're doing is you're taking what you see on the screen, you're taking these visuals and you're turning them into audible cues. And, you know, you, you kind of to look at it like short story writing or novel writing where, you know, here's a set of what happens. Now, how am I going to translate that knowing that people are just going to listen to this? And a lot of that doesn't even come necessarily in the writing process, but in the sound design process afterwards. And a lot of that depends on the writer. One of the projects I'm working on right now with a gentleman named Darby Kern, who has written for, oh gosh, the Left Behind audio drama series, Left Behind Kids audio drama series, uh, G.A. Henty audio drama series. Um, There's a new app called Aspire. He's written some stuff for the Aspire app. He and I are co-writing The Watch together, which is our uh, new audio drama that we're working on. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the point with, yeah. with, with Darby finish your point <laughs> um, is that he will he will write out the action in the script mm. and he might put in a couple sound effects here and there. Like if we need gunshots, obviously bang, bang, those are important, yeah. bang, bang, whatever. But he'll put out the action and then he'll leave it up to the sound designer to make that come, come alive. Mm. So it doesn't necessarily even show up in the script. We just let the sound designer know, hey, this needs to show up somehow. Uh, so that's the scripting of that. Yeah, work your art and your magic as the sound designer. And right, uh, uh, have you ever on the done the sound designer role? I have my very first audio drama, uh, which only part one is available anywhere, and I'm probably going to pull it so I can so I can do the rest of it uh, and do it upright because <clears throat> yeah. I've actually recorded the entire thing, and I actually produced it while I was working at the radio station. It was called Shoe Fly. And it was based on a short story that I had had written and had been published in Adam Jack magazine. And uh, it was about an apocalypse brought about not by zombies or a deadly disease, but by mutated houseflies. Classic. Oh, yeah. Classic. (laughs) Oh, that old trope. (laughs) 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 And that was my first real foray into doing sound design. 
Uh, and I took it seriously. So I, I wanted to kind of play with some things that they weren't really doing yet. And I was doing it all through editing now, especially like binaural sound design, which is a, which is a thing now and all this other stuff. They'll do that in the recording process, but I wanted to play with it just using my, I, I was using uh, Adobe audition and I wanted to, I wanted to play with sound design using Adobe audition. So I have a yeah. scene where there's a fly, a single house fly buzzing around your head. And so I've got it, um, I've got it panning from left to right in your headphones mm -hmm. and fading out as it goes behind you and fading back in as it goes to your left ear and all this. I've got a giant swarm of flies coming in and it does the same thing. It starts in your left ear very quietly. And as it starts to fill your left ear, you start to hear it in your right ear. And then it's just your entire headphone headset is just filled with the sound of flies. And then they fade out the same way they faded in. So I, I do have some sound design, but the guys who are doing it professionally are like, these guys are Picasso and I do stick figures. Yeah. There's a gentleman named uh, Todd Bustide. He works out of Gap Digital in Wheaton, Illinois. And uh, we've worked with him on some various things. And there's a, there's a Robin Hood uh, audio drama available and he did the sound design on it. And he was telling, he, he was mentioning how he did the arrows and he said each arrow from each bow has its own character. Hmm. And so he said, you know, for this one, I took the sound of an arrow. This is how I got the twang. This is how I got the whoosh. Uh, as it zips through, I also layered in some sounds of like wind and bees and <laughs> like all throw this a, random crap that you wouldn't even think about. Yeah, throw a throw a, a screech in there somewhere, but doing it down just enough so it's just barely audible. So it's just like it adds that character to it, and that's where it's like becoming a master of the craft, kind of. A thing. Absolutely, because you know that's the thing. Like you're you don't have the visual, so to put the right visual inside the person's head you're it's all about sound design yeah and so there are guys who are really masters at it i am not that person and i don't want to be i don't have time for it <laughs> but um i i wanted to mention that we were talking about the watch yeah uh we our sound designer on the watch is a guy named uh, micah touche who is a brilliant award-winning uh sound designer uh, in his own right. Yeah. And uh, we're very, very fortunate to be working with somebody of, of that caliber uh, for the project. Very awesome. And I don't think, I think we sort of went back to the technical stuff. So what is the watch about overall? Okay. So the watch is a police drama. And what had happened was I had gotten this idea uh, and I, I don't remember why, but for some reason I was in my car and I heard a, a last call. Uh, uh, I heard an end of watch call. Now, if you don't know what an end of watch call is, when a when a police officer dies at their funeral, they'll do an end of watch call where they will give out the officer's name, shield number, car number, whatever it is, uh, as though they were trying to contact him. And then they'll see, you know, you know, no response from such and such, such and such as 10-7, uh, which means that they're basically they're dead or they're out of out of range and then they'll <clears throat> sort of eulogize them you know officer so and so ended his watch on january of blah 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 so and so yeah and it was just such an impactful moment as i was listening to it and there was even the the dispatcher who was reading the end of watch call there was a hitch in her voice as as she was doing it very emotional 
and I'm sitting there driving going, you know, I, you can't make me cry. Tears make the road disappear. You know, <laughs> uh, I need to see. And it was just, it was such a, such, such an affecting moment and just such a beautiful sort of moment in its own way. And so that idea kind of stuck with me and I thought, you know, I, I would love to do a police drama called The Watch. Yeah. And my friend Darby, who I mentioned, uh, I had done a project for him called uh, The Jake Muller Adventures Unidentified. I had played one of the characters. He came to me and said, you know, I really want to do something where we can kind of give you a starring role and, and really showcase what you can do. And I said, well, I've got this idea for a police drama called The Watch. And it just so happened that we were driving two days to a conference. Yeah, SonicCon. SonicCon, yeah. And the audio conference. <laughs> the family-friendly audio drama conference. That was the first yes. one. The second one's uh, happening uh, this year. Oh, and I'll be back. <laughs> but um, So you're on your way there. So we're on our way there, and we're just talking about it and just shooting ideas back and forth. By the time we got there... We had the idea almost completely fleshed out. By the time we got back, we had the bones built. <laughs> we knew where we were going. Uh, and the pilot came together in a matter of days, uh, nice. really. And once we had the pilot together, we then went through it. And I think it took another couple of weeks to tweak it. Uh, we sent it to our technical advisor, who is an actual Milwaukee City police, police officer. Because uh, the, the watch is set in Milwaukee. Yeah, do a nice local story. Absolutely. Uh, so we sent it to our technical advisor who had some tweaks and things like that, sent it back. We dealt with all of that. So the watch follows three cops, a police detective, a dispatch officer, and a beat cop as they kind of go through their lives and sort of deal with the, I guess, the conflicts that arise between job and personal life. Mm-hmm. What There's sort of ties all of the characters together? You're following these three characters with their each individual stories. What ties all the stories together? Uh, it's it's a weird kind of just a friendship that they have. Hmm. The cop and the, the beat cop and the, the dispatch officer went to school together, uh, and they became friends between them and another cop. And I don't want to get too much into the story of what ties them together because mm-hmm. uh, we're going to answer a lot of those questions at the end of – the pilot episode of the watch, which yeah. we're still putting together and will hopefully be out very soon. So and this is going to release midsummer, uh, late. Summer. Hopefully. So hopefully. hopefully the watch may be out already. If not go follow Randy, wherever he, uh, on the internet and be on the watch for the watch. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the big thing with this is, is, uh, we've got professional actors, uh, who are involved in this. We've got professional sound design. We set out and got a, Got a got a theme song produced for us by a professional composer. Sick. The upside is it's going to sound great. Hopefully, it's going to sound better than ninety percent of audio drama podcasts that exist. I mean, free content—you kind of get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at releasing free content that sounds like it's not free content, but it costs money. Yeah. So we're hoping to release the pilot episode and a trailer, and then once those release, we're going to start hitting people up again for some crowdfunding. We're going to put together some great packages for people who want to be a part of it. The podcast will still be free content. Yeah. But we're going to have some, you know, maybe some uh, early access to commercial free episodes for backers. Gotcha. Things like that. So, yeah, that is one of the things that many of the audio drama podcast people run into of like, how do we monetize this content? Because not, not everyone wants to put ads on their stuff. So you're, 
you're taking a little mix of the both of potentially doing some ads on there as well as doing like a Patreon or basically a private, uh, private community. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to listening and I, uh, can't wait to hear, hear the pilot and trailer and everything else. And so if someone wants to start an audio drama of their own, where, where would, what advice would you give someone? Well, start at the beginning, start with a script, (laughs) you know, um, get the dialogue. Get the dialogue, write a story. And the dialogue is the, is the most important piece to that. Um, write the dialogue out first. One thing that you can do is look at look at TV and movie scripts. Uh, you can also find sample audio drama scripts to just kind of give you an idea of what that looks like. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the point is that you're not doing anything without a script. So write that first. Write the story first. Write the script first. From there, decide what it's going to take to get it put out there, how you want it to sound, you know, it doesn't have to be anything, you know, again, it's, if you're looking at doing a podcast, it's free content. Uh, it's harder and harder every year to get seen, to get noticed. Uh, cause there are a lot of podcasts out there. So don't maybe be discouraged if you've got 50 listeners in your first month or your first year, (laughs) cause it's, it's tough to get noticed. But keep plugging away at it and keep doing what you can do and, and make it better and better and better each time you go. Awesome. And eventually, you know, and, and don't be, you know, try not to be immune to criticism. Listen to what the people who listen, the people who want you to succeed are saying to you <laughs> as you as you move forward. Yeah. Uh, and if you can feasibly make those changes and, and keep getting better and better, then then do it and keep growing. Yeah, that's some great advice. I think for that first half specifically to audio drama, and that second half to really anything. <laughs> yeah, really anything you do. Yeah. So, well, I want to touch on uh, another aspect of podcasting and audio in general because I think you're one of the few other people in the group that actually thinks about it. So many podcasters have. We've got tons of different tools, software, microphones, audio interfaces, but our most important tool is our voice. So how do you take care of your voice? Oh, I don't take care of my voice at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, the main thing is uh, keep keep lubricated. I drink a lot of water. Uh, I drink a lot of lemon water. I try and stay away from sodas. And since I'm trying to lose weight as well, staying away from sodas works on a multitude of levels. Getting that sucrose in there, coating anything you can coat your throat with, generally speaking, is not good. Yeah. With one exception, there is a tea called Throat Coat Tea that I recommend to literally anyone who wants to do voiceover work. Yeah, you can get it. You can find it at most drugstores. Uh, some grocery stores have it, but it's it's it really lubricates your throat nicely. Is um, that why my voice is not as as low because I haven't been drinking? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> okay, so I I'm gonna age myself a little bit. Uh, I'm I'm a Generation Xer. I grew up with with Generation X music. I grew up with, with '90s music, uh, like the Crash Test Dummies. Now, do, you, yeah. do you know who the Crash Test Dummies are? Uh, no. Their most famous song is called Mm-mm. Mm. and uh, mm-hmm. it's an acoustic song. And uh, this guy's just got this deep, deep, deep voice. He's like, "Once there was this kid," you know, even deeper yeah. than that, right? And I remember I was, I was listening to an interview with the guy, and they said, "How do you get your voice so deep?" And he said, "Well, it's the third testicle." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right so it's genetics That's, yeah it's, uh, it's genetics it really i mean honestly it, it is and there's probably 
a, a little cigarettes, uh, a little bit of uh, whiskey in there as well to for a lot of those deep deep voiced people. But uh, it is honestly genetics, and like there's your some people are basses, some people are baritones, some people are tenors, and everything in between. But I think it's all it's important to know that like everyone's voice is unique. It may not be the thing that everyone is that directors or people are looking for all the time but like you have your own voice and that's unique to you absolutely and you know that's and that's a great and that's a great point and really anybody who wants to get into voice work in general or into acting for audio dramas you know the biggest thing to to realize is that number one you're going to spend hours every week auditioning and you're going to do 20 30 auditions before you pick up a job probably and you need to understand that it's not personal. Mm-hmm. I've I've heard from a couple of people who don't like my voice, but in general, if I get turned down from a role, it's because it's not because they don't like my voice. It's not because they don't like what I'm doing. It's because I'm not right for the part. Yeah. And you know, the main thing with with anything that you're going to do an audition for, what it comes down to is you're either right for the part or you're not. Mm-hmm. And you know, you mentioned you know I've got this deep booming bass voice well that's not right for every part right whether well, maybe there's a part for like an eight-year-old kid unless it's a comedy part where they're like and now jeffy over here little jeffy's gonna speak hey I'm I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about i've sounded like this since i was seven uh, <laughs> i'm sure you have i'm sure yeah. you have <laughs> uh do you have any warm-ups that you do before you go into an audition or uh an interview like this that you're just to prep your voice you know i'll do i'll do different vowel different vowel things. The main thing you want to do with any kind of vocal prep is to uh, loosen your lips. Mm. Um, That's to me more important than warming up your voice. Your voice is what it is. Uh, Keep it lubricated, treat it well, and it will, and it will serve you where you get into problems is when you start mumbling, when you start failing to articulate, Mm -hmm. So I always tell people, you know, use consonants, use, you know, rubber baby, you know, see, can't do it. Rubber baby (laughs) buggy bumpers, red leather, yellow leather. Irish uh, wristwatch. Irish Irish wristwatch is a good one. Gotcha. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, tongue twisters are great Mm -hmm. uh, because the point is that you want to get your mouth to do what you want it to do when you want it, when you want it to do it. Yeah. And there are, and, and by the way. I don't care who you are. You're going to come across sentences where you're going to redo those sentences 18 times. Uh, I don't care how prepared (laughs) you are. It's just, uh, there are forums I belong to on Facebook where we literally have a tongue twister of the day of just somebody, something that somebody had to read (laughs) that for whatever reason, they just could not get their lips and tongue around it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Cause like, your face has muscles in it, and you have to work those muscles, warm up those muscles. And if they're not warmed up, Irish wristwatch, toy boat, unique New York, all of those other words are going to come out. Unique New York, or they're going to yeah. mumble together. And that is going to lead to retaking to many more hours spent on it. And that's why people hire a professional like you, because you can do it efficiently. Yeah. And, and by the way, you mentioned unique New York and I mentioned red leather, yellow leather and all of those. Uh, don't just say them, sing them. Mm. Um, you know, these are all things that you learn in choral classes, uh, choir classes, music classes, you know, um, 
it's not just unique New York. It's unique New York, unique New York. You know, you need new, unique New York. Uh, you're seeing it, yeah. and you're you're going up and down with your voice, and that's just as important because if you are in a monotone, I don't care if you have a deep voice, if you have a, a higher voice, if you can't change pitch, if you can't alter the dynamics of your voice, it's not going to sound great. Mm-hmm. Whether you're doing a podcast. Uh, it's maybe especially if you're doing a podcast, you need to be able to, to deal with the dynamics of your voice. You need to go up. You need to go down. You need to right <laughs> get louder and quieter because if you just talk like this, it's going to sound like you're reading and nobody is going to listen to you for longer than five minutes. Um, <laughs> Even if it is for a comedy bit <laughs> of a monotone right. thing. But like... Uh, and that all goes into what you do as a voice actor for audio dramas, for everything else. So I appreciate the quick little class that you sort of took us through. Yeah, certainly. Uh, varying speed, uh, by the way. Uh, uh, these are all, you know, like, again, dynamics are so important yeah. uh, because they can't see you. They're not looking at anything. Your voice is what is taking them through this journey. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you need to be able to dynamically guide them through that right. journey. Yeah, and so whether you're doing an audio drama where you're trying to step into someone else's shoes or you're talking to someone else and trying to get them to open up, these are all really important tips and things that we can do as podcasters to to be better. Yeah, there's a there's a guy on YouTube who I cannot listen to. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not going to say his name. He gets a lot of crap, rightfully so, I think. It's funny because like the 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 subject of his videos I, I'm actually interested in. I don't ever watch his videos because I cannot listen to the guy, and because you know he he literally he'll he'll he sounds like, and then you're going to do this, and then sometimes this happens, and one time this thing happened and it was interesting. Randy, I just want to thanks for taking the hour to talk about podcasting, interviewing, broadcast media, and sort of everything else in between the art of the Fox Valley area. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I, I just, I apologize, man. You have to sit down and edit all of this. And uh, my mind goes 87 directions. I know <laughs> that, uh, from experience that this is going to be a mess uh, for you to edit. And so, uh, no, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. You can just hear the molasses dripping off Randy's voice. Stick around after the credits to listen to a full-length trailer for The Watch audio drama. And while you're listening to that, go follow Randy online and check out The Watch on Facebook at The Watch Podcast. The logo is a blue W on a white badge. Link in the notes for all that as well. They'll be starting up a crowdfunding campaign soon, so please be on the lookout for that. Your voice may not be as deep as Randy's, but it's still unique, and we want to hear it. Head on over to AppletonPodcast.com for community support and resources to start your very own podcast and share your voice. If you do, you could win some free podcast gear. If you know someone in Northeast Wisconsin who likes to podcast, share this show with them. And if you've made it this far, please rate and review the show on Podchaser or go to the nearest person and whisper at the bottom of your lungs your review in their ear. I'm David Kelso, your neighborly podcast nerd, and thanks for listening to this trailer of the watch. Squad 1420, 1420, shots fired. See the caller outside, 3860 Wamba. 1420, respond. 10-4, 1420 en route. Time to go to work. 
That home is listed to Angelo Ferentino. No wants, no fire. Angelo Ferentino? Are you kidding me? Thanks, Kat. You're welcome. 1420. Oh, snap. She just busted you out on the air. Uh-huh. Any other leads? Yeah, yeah, no. I don't know if this is legit, but one of my CIs said that Ferentino just bought his house out of the blue. And maybe a few others on that north side neighborhood. Any connection to the shooting? I don't know. I'm trying to look into it, but I'm getting a whole lot of nothing. There's no records of any sales going on in that neighborhood by anyone, but my guy's got a fistful of cash. This guy, Ferentino. He wasn't alone when he got popped. Keep talking. There was this woman there. Another friend. She's working for you? Don't get excited. She didn't see anything. If she had, this be a different conversation entirely. Know what I mean? Anyway, she was there, but she wasn't a part of this. It'd be best if nobody knew she was there. Are you on the lookout for runaway kids or something? Well, we got a book of about 10,000 runaway kids back at the station. If I look at it, am I gonna see your face? I doubt anybody misses me enough to report. Everybody's got at least one person who misses him. Cat! Cat! Huh? Oh, sorry. Officer Hedinga, what are you doing here so late? I usually get the range to myself. An argument? At what point did you hit her with a chair? It wasn't me, it was... The uh, one-armed man? What happened? You get mad because you couldn't keep her happy? That it? It was self-defense. Thought you said it wasn't you. You got what I asked for? Who are you? Friend. I don't know you. Didn't say I was your friend. Who's this? Sergeant Rodasevich. Internal Affairs. Detective? Swell. He has a couple questions about the Ferentino case. Why would Tommy go dirty? His parents left him some money and a house, so he's not hurting. Mm. He doesn't have any red flags in his past. I just don't see it. And James? Well, he's not Tommy, but I don't see any smoke there either. Right or wrong, my guess is some pretty bad stuff's gonna go down soon. Like I said, things are adding up. And you think James is a part of that? All I know is he hasn't been completely honest with me or anyone. He knows something he's not talking about. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Listen, just just be careful you don't get hit by the shrapnel when this grenade goes off. Are you saying you know nothing about it? First I've heard. Thickest thieves, you guys. Why don't you take your accusations and your Gestapo tactics, roll them in a cone, and jam them? Lieutenant, you might want to get a leash on your detective while he still has a job. I'm going to get to the bottom of this, and if i got to take you down to do it, I'm going to. I won't like it. But that'll matter. Get off me! Well, come on then. Lay hands on me, Jimmy. I dare you. I don't care what your client wants. There isn't any law protecting realtor client privilege. Yeah, I gotta get a warrant. I'm gonna make sure folks know it's your firm impeding a murder investigation. Fine. You do what you gotta do. Tor, I was talking to a witness. Uh-huh. Well... You play bad cop all you want in the squad, but this is our home. Your language... I don't get to choose when a call comes in. Excuse me, you called them. We've talked about this. Work stays at work. Oh, yeah? Because the piles of kindergarten artwork all over the Davenport says different. You know what I... <sighs> I'll be out in the garage. You and MJ, enjoy the rest of the day. I just... I just miss us. Mm. So, no Dave again tonight? Ah. You know Madaloni. 
Now that he's flat-footing again, he ain't got time for us little people. Hey, be nice. He has a family, you know. Word is his wife isn't taking his return to active duty very well. We're all got families. I don't. Hey, what about us? Don't worry, buddy. Your secret is safe with me. And now you're gonna do me a solid. And nobody will find out you were an honest cop. Watch from here.